Listener Production. Hey, Sophie here. Just a heads up, in this episode, we're talking about forensic science. There's mentions of death, murder, and descriptions of blood at crime scenes. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is Demystifying Forensics, our forensic science mini-series here on The Science Briefing. In this series, we unpack the science behind the procedures you hear all about in your favorite true crime podcasts that never get fully explained. Today, blood. What can blood teach us about a crime? And how can we use blood to reconstruct a scene and understand what really went down? Ellen Fidian, Cosmos Magazine journalist, you're here to take us through this. Hello. Yes, I am. Ellen What we can learn from blood, I also find quite fascinating. Yeah, the science around blood is really, really interesting and intricate. It is, however, important to note one of the first things forensic scientists say when they're talking about bloodstains is to remember that this all revolves around real crime scenes and the suffering of real people. Sure. The first thing you might think of when we're talking about blood science is DNA evidence, and you could use that at a crime scene to help solve a crime. But DNA is not the only method that can be used when it comes to blood. There's actually another thing that I want to focus on today, and it's to do with more than just the blood itself, but also the way the blood has moved around the space and the way it's been spread at a scene. So talking about the angle at which blood lands on objects, across the walls and the floor, the size of the droplets, all of those sorts of things. This is a method called bloodstain pattern analysis, or BPA. Yeah, so I've heard of this, Ellen, maybe too much of this. And I reckon if you've seen an episode or two of Dexter, it's possible that you may have too. So bloodstain pattern analysis, in a nutshell, is looking at blood at a crime scene to sort of paint a picture of what happened. Yeah, that's basically it. So it's a reconstructive science. um, And the purpose of EPA is about establishing what events at a crime scene might have caused blood and maybe some other liquids as well to spread across the area in the way that they have spread. Bloodstain pattern analysis pulls together all of these different fields of science. Obviously, there's biology and chemistry involved because we need to know about the composition of the blood, how it moves and ages and dries and all of those things. Also, BPA actually involves a lot of physics. It's all about the distance that blood can travel through air, the direction and the angle at which the blood travels. So these things can all be used to answer questions like how many people were there, whether or not a weapon was used, big questions that can inform the forensic process. And actually, as a side note, I used to teach bloodstain pattern analysis to high school students in one of my former jobs. Okay, I had no idea. I love this. (laughs) So now, Ellen, we know that you're a BPA expert. This is my new favorite fact about you, oh, by the I'm way. Not an expert, mate. So let's paint a picture of how it's practiced on a real life crime scene. Okay. So um, even though I I ran high school workshops about this, so you know, very very highly scientific. That's right. I thought it might be good to bring in an actual expert to talk to. I spoke to Adrian Lineker. Adrian's the chair in forensic DNA technology at Flinders University. And he has seen some pretty gruesome stuff during his time in forensics. I went to some pretty horrendous murder scenes. As a forensic scientist going to crime scenes, you have to remove yourself from what it is you're looking at. I mean, it's pretty horrible. You have to realize somebody suffered. 
As I've already mentioned, there are a few different things to look out for when you're using bloodstain pattern analysis. One of the first things involves looking at the size of the blood droplets. Interestingly, blood droplets will actually be different in size depending on which action has drawn blood in the first place. So if we're talking like a knife or a punch or a bullet. So for example, when blood drips down to the ground, it usually makes a perfect circle shape. If I were to cut myself and just let blood drip, 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 it makes a stain, the droplet, of about 50 microliters. 50 microliters. So a microliter is a thousandth of a milliliter. Ellen, why do we use this unit when we're talking about blood? So essentially an open wound that's passively dripping blood usually won't make drops of blood smaller than about 50 microliters. So if you've ever watched, for instance, water dripping off like a bench or something, it's got to pool to a certain size before it's actually going to form a droplet and fall. Mm -hmm. That's a similar thing with blood. There's a certain amount that it has to pull in before it's going to start dripping. And with blood, that's about 50 microliters. So amounts smaller than that don't come from a passive dropping of blood. Sure. But blood doesn't always drip down, obviously. It can spray, it can splatter across a space. So that usually means that something more forceful has happened. Now, if you provide action, hitting, kicking, striking into that blood, there is energy applied to that 50 microliters to make smaller droplets. There's a marvelous physical relationship between the size of the blood spot and the force applied. The greater the force, the smaller the blood spots. So as soon as you see tiny blood spots, i.e. under one millimeter, that's high force. That cannot happen by someone just dripping blood. Some action has happened into that. Droplet size is an indicator of action. Adrian says you don't know exactly what that action is, but you can still start to piece it together if, say, a knife or a bullet or a punch or a kick was behind it. But not only can you start to estimate the force behind the impact, you can also start thinking about the direction that the impact came from. So to do this, you look at the shape of the blood droplets, whether or not they're circular or whether they're more kind of oval-shaped or elliptical. If you can work out roughly the angle of impact, did it land downwards, upwards, left to right? Because when blood lands on the surface, directly downwards, it makes a round stain. You can just picture that. If it lands at an angle other than 90, it makes an elliptical stain. There's actually an equation that can tell you the exact angle that a droplet was travelling at. And I imagine that that equation is the one that you were teaching those year 10 and 11 students when you were doing all that stuff on BPA that I didn't get to sit into and now I've got epic regrets. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It's high school trigonometry. Um, you can sort of work it out with a whiteboard in five minutes, basically. I think it's really cool that there's an equation that a high school kid can basically work out on a whiteboard and that's actually something that translates to real analysis at crime scenes, like it's an equation that works in reality. It's the beauty of applied mathematics, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. So if you can start to figure out the angles where all of these blood droplets hit a surface, you can start to map out the points where you think impacts happened around a crime scene. 
And you can sort of weave all of these elements together with the size of the droplets and the shape and all of that to start to reconstruct a series of events or a scene altogether. I've done this in a house in Edinburgh where we went from room to room. Thought, well, someone was standing here and then many moved over here and this is where they were, this is where they were. Another 10 metres on, oh, another event. And you can piece together what you think is the most likely scenario. But even though forensic scientists can start to piece together scenarios from bloodstain pattern analysis, they'll never make accusations. So, for example, Adrian would never say Alice kicked Bob here and Bob's blood sprayed across her shoe. Instead, he would say Bob's blood is splattered across this shoe in a manner which is consistent with someone wearing the shoe while they kicked him. We would never, ever, ever say court. Therefore, this person kicked that person. No, 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 no. Never our job. The jury do that. We aid them. That makes sense because the forensic scientists are there to just give evidence about, you know, what they see as opposed to conjecture what actually happened. Yeah, exactly. And this doesn't just go for blood pattern analysis. It's across all areas of forensics. Forensic scientists just don't make those sorts of claims outright. Another important point is that there are definitely still some shortcomings when it comes to bloodstain pattern analysis as a method. Mm -hmm. There's still a bit of dispute about how blood droplets can behave, and it's never really going to carry the same scientific weight behind it as, say, DNA does. Unlike DNA, where you can give a high probability, we talk about it is 10 billion times more likely one event compared to another. You can't do that with blood patterns. Ultimately, it's a subjective judgment. It's based upon the experience and knowledge of the examiner. And so blood pattern can fall under that problem of being ultimately an opinion. So Ellen, if BPA at times is just ultimately an opinion, why use it in the first place? It's an opinion, but it is a well-informed opinion. This science doesn't operate on smoking gun style evidence. So they'd never say, for instance, this one drop proves that this person stabbed this other person. It's always about looking at all of the drops at a scene and all of the patterns that might emerge from those droplets. So lots and lots of different data points. And BPA also does sit on pretty straightforward maths and physics. We're talking like Newton's laws here. So things that we've known about for hundreds of years, how a fluid moves, how it interacts with gravity, It makes sense that you can use that to deduce how blood would move in this way or be this size. Forensic scientists also do a lot of experiments with blood in controlled environments to back up all of this information. So they're not just out in the world, they're also in the lab, sometimes using human blood, sometimes using pig's blood. So they do know how that behaves. They can extrapolate that to a crime scene. While bloodstain pattern analysis isn't the most powerful form of forensic science, it can be an incredibly useful extra source of information. All right, Ellen, thank you so much. We've just spent an entire episode talking about one of my favourite fluids, which is blood, and also fluids in general, which I love. So thank you for spoiling me. You're most welcome. Ellen Fidian is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Ellen's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. On the next episode of Demystifying Forensics, DNA and identifying suspects in a criminal investigation. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. 
This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe, mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.